Welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today I'm joined by John Presnell, my good friend. For the first time we're recording together at Shape Presnell. We will be continuing our series on Brian De Palma with an assist from David Mamet. We're talking about The Untouchables today. Brian De Palma's answer to Coppola's Godfather. Well, it's great to be here, Titus. Great to have you here at my home and to be talking about this movie that takes place during the gangland violence in Chicago during the Prohibition era. And so we have the story of Elliot Ness and his famous untouchables going after Al Capone and his criminal gang organization. Elliot Ness is played by Kevin Costner and, of course, Al Capone being played very well by Robert De Niro here. And was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Score, Ennio Morricone. And of course, this is Sean Connery's only Oscar. He plays an Irish cop, a beat cop, who Elliot Ness enlists as part of his Gang of the Untouchables, one of his more famous roles. And the movie was a big hit for De Palma, directing a movie by David Mamet. Yep, this is De Palma at his most cinematic. All the scenes are constructed with so much detail, trying to show you who these characters are by the setting they're in, by how they act, what, what pictures are they supposed to remind you of, what are you going to associate them with. And it's written by David Mamet, a Chicago native. He just has a novel, his first novel out now, called Chicago about gangland in the 30s and 40s. And this was his most famous picture. He wrote this super tough movie, cops and robbers who are raised to this great level, almost tragic heroes. Capone is surrounded by luxury and grandeur. Elliot Ness is a crusader, he's a pure guy. And they're going to have not just the story everybody knows about Capone. Oh, they got him on taxes. How silly is that? Yeah, that's part of the story. But law and execution and enforcement and a band of brothers among the policemen, a confrontation between two versions of a man of the people, Capone and Ness. Law and, on the other hand, tyranny with Capone. All this stuff is raised to a high pitch of heroism in David Mamet's script and all of it done with all the great lines that people remember. The Chicago way. (laughs) Somebody brings a knife to a fight, you bring a gun. All this cool stuff that shows you these are real men fighting for real stakes. It wasn't about a bookkeeper and income taxes. It's somehow about the soul of America. This is Brian De Palma and David Mamet answering to the godfather, to Francis Ford Coppola. What does the mafia reveal about America? What is this conflict between the old European way of splendid cruelty and aristocracy in conflict with American democracy and equality under the law? What is this conflict between corruption of the people, which is what Capone does with a lot of approval, starting with the press and manages to corrupt the mayoralty, the police. He seems like he's got the world in his pocket. And on the other hand, you have this outsider coming from Puritan America, the crusader Elliot Ness. And so uh, a, a big sensational thing, Al Capone and all this murder in Chicago all of a sudden becomes about American history, Mm -hmm. about American principles, about law and order, about the executive power, for example, and in what way it's necessary in America if we are going to save law and order. And here we have have an outsider with federal government. And so the federal government in Elliot Ness, a Justice Department uh, enforcer, is going to come in and clean up the corruption in the local government. And so we have we have a tension here. And what we find is that 
there's uh, Elliot Ness runs into so much resistance that one might think that that he would just give up. But what we have here is a story of trying to build up this band of brothers after a few false starts and the recognition of the deep problem that is happening in Chicago, a, a corruption uh, in the cops, uh, in the mayor's office, in the judiciary, uh, even amongst the people themselves, and nobody seeming to want to do anything about this as Capone is kind of plying his wares, providing people what they want. And yet somehow Ness, rather than just kind of shrugging it all off, decides that he is uh, going to try to figure out a way and build up his crew. There's a crew of four of them. There's uh, Elliot Ness, of course. Jimmy Malone is an older beat cop. He's a beat cop in part because he refuses to get involved in the corruption of the police force there in Chicago. Uh, we have a, another federal officer, Oscar. He is a, a bookkeeper. And then they last recruit a sharpshooter from the academy, a cadet, uh, Giuseppe Petri, played by Andy Garcia, but who has changed his name to George Stone. And these guys are going to take it upon themselves to do what's required in order to bring down Capone and his kind of ruthless uh, brutality, but also in terms of his kind of lavish lording it over in terms of his way of life, uh, a kind of aristocrat of sorts, and uh, uh, but also a man of the people, giving the people what they want, the, the, the liquor. And so we have this, it, the movie begins with this opening scene uh, shot from the top down, a bird's eye view, as Capone is getting shaved, he's getting a He's getting a manicure, his shoes are being shined, and he's surrounded by the press, including even the foreign press. There's an English journalist there, and they're asking him, and they say, hey, Mr. Capone, right? we hear that you're the real mayor of this town. Right? You know, Why don't you just be mayor? Right? In other words, you're ruling this town. You're ruling this city. And you know, uh, Capone is able to laugh this off. He says, oh, there's a funny thing about jokes. Right? They're funny. Ha, ha, ha. But they're also true, right? And so we're kind of getting a sense here, and the press has eaten this up. And so we have this legend of, of Scarface, of Little Caesar, of this great gangster, uh, a man of the people, he says, right? He is providing people what they want. He's not a bootlegger. That's what uh, uh, people on Lakeshore Drive call it, but they uh, uh, call him. But when they do the same thing he does, it's simply called hospitality. And so we see here uh, Capone is a, a, a moving figure. He can be a man of the people. He takes upon these kind of aristocratic airs, old world airs, and he holds it all down with, on the one hand with brute force, and on the other hand, kind of appealing to people's appetite, appetite for drink and drunkenness. Yeah, Robert De Niro does a great portrayal and a lot of the poetic seriousness, the depth, of what De Palma is doing rides on his portrayal. He makes an effort to look like Al Capone, but even more so, he looks like Mussolini. <laughs> it's a striking image, and you're right, there's one of these Hitchcock shots from the ceiling downward, and there's this guy in a very wealthy palatial setting, Al Capone, getting a shave. At some point, his barber cuts him, <laughs> and he has to restrain his anger because he's in public. You see, okay, he's a really cagey guy, actually. And he sort of accepts the title of king of the city, really, the true mayor. 
but he sort of rejects it too, saying, I'm just a man of the people, which of course is reminiscent of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, when Mark Antony keeps offering the crown, the coronet, to Caesar, who keeps refusing it, and people are impressed with his refusal, when in fact he is secretly accepting it. And the press is there like sycophants, like courtiers fawning all over him, laughing at his jokes, eating up his words. There's this populist attacking the elitists, aristocratic, rich people of Chicago who don't practice what they preach, who say prohibition for the little man, mm -hmm. but illegal drinks for me. We'll enforce the Volstead Act perhaps on other people, but we'll accept ourselves from this moral stricture. And this, you know, this sells papers, you know, so he is a great news item. And the reporters ask him, they say, you know, we hear that you use violence. And he says, look, I, a man has a reputation. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Was there violence? There was violence. But now I'm a businessman, right? And uh, if it weren't for these crusader types, these reformers who want to shut this honest business down, right, whatever violence there may be, I, it's not my fault. And so we just need to change this law so I can continue to ply my trade. Yeah, so he kind of admits that he comes from a different world and he explains himself in this beautiful line where I came from. You learn that you get further with a nice word and a gun <laughs> than just with a nice word. And so this shows incredible political astuteness. He doesn't think you can charm everybody in words that rhetoric is going to rule the day. You're going to need force as well, not just persuasion. Some stuff really is bloody. But he knows that the press, you can rule through words. Mm -hmm. You can lie to their faces and they'll believe you because they're kind of charmed. Mm -hmm. But he also gives you the specific lie that you need to tell in America. He says, I'm just a businessman. Why am I not violent despite the rumors? Because it's bad for business. What rich guy, what business guy would ever do violence to anybody? And people want to believe that. Phew, commerce will save us from violence. That's right. It, but of course, we see in the next scene, we see a, a front. It's a costume, a uniform, a place that cleans and sells uniforms. But it's really just a front for a speakeasy. And here we see uh, the owner of the speakeasy there talking to some of Capone's henchmen. And he says, you know, I don't want to buy any more of your beer. It's poor quality. Right. The people, that's not what the people want here. So we already see maybe he's not giving the people really what they want. And uh, they say, well, you know, you're, you, you, you don't have this decision. You can't not buy from us. So Capone's business relies upon force. If you don't want to take it, we're going to force you to take it and we're going to let you know. And the way they let him know is they say anybody, they're going to set an example for him by blowing it up, blowing up his business and killing him. And of course, we also see kind of the collateral damage, as it were, of this, of a young innocent girl who's there picking up some beer for her mother, and she's the one who grabs the uh, Capone's henchman's briefcase, and then you just have this brutal scene where this innocent child is blown up. And so here we see the real, the real kind of cost, but beneath the kind of veneer and the stuff that the press eats up and kind of... Uh, uh, Capone just loving it, uh, hamming it up for the media, but we see what the consequences of this are in reality. And so he's not a man of the people necessarily, and he's not really always giving them what they want, and even his business is not kind of peaceful commerce and trade, but we're going to force you to get what you want. And if you don't, children will get killed. Yeah, so the press in a democracy might be charmed, might be sweet-talked, might be won over by one of these 
sort of monstrous guys, all splendid cruelty. But David Mamet and the Palmer are going to tell you the ugly truth. It ends up killing children. And you can't mess with that. When once this happens, violence has been done to the innocent and all the fake respectability of saying you're just a businessman giving the people what they want won't cut it anymore. Now we have got a fundamental conflict happening, even though the press, always out there to get the story, misses the true story. Mm -hmm. And we see in this scene that commerce might be sort of redefined and you end up with a democracy like H.L. Mencken used to say, giving it to the people good and hard what they have coming to them. There's a lot of nasty stuff. And that's why we need Elliot Ness. And, and that's the next scene. Compared to the super aristocratic but man of the people charming the press Capone, then you get to see the house of Ness, the, the respectable place, the good middle class, loving, private, functional family with all the family values and all that stuff. We have the wife, she's making him lunch. We see that she's pregnant with their second child. Uh, she has a look of concern on his face because we see in the other room the back of Ness. We don't see his face and we see him reading the headlines. This one the paper gets, innocent young girl blown up. But there seems not to be a connection here. But of course, we, the audience, make the connection. And Ness, of course, sees the connection between Capone and this violence. And we know that he's going to be heading into work to begin his work uh, to try to take Capone down. Um, but this example of a loving family, domestic bliss, right, a peaceful order, uh, things in its proper place, uh, beginning of even, uh, you could say, we see the separation of the wife is in the kitchen and the husband is in the other room reading the paper. Yet this is some, this is where Ness comes from. This is not, you could say, the most auspicious beginning for somebody who would, you might think to want to be a great hero, to sacrifice, risk his life, to do what might be required to bring him down. But this is perhaps in part what it's all about for him. Uh, we hear throughout the movie the, uh, the, the statement, it's good to be married. And so there's something uh, uh, innately virtuous and good about this domestic life, even if it is not ordinarily a place we would think of where uh, the kind of uh, extreme sacrifice that might be required and even the use of violence to do what needs to be done to protect it. Um, it of itself can't protect itself. Yeah. Al Capone has to hide his brutality and he hides it behind splendor. In the case of Elliot Ness, there's no luxury, there's just domesticity. But there is a sign of austere dignity in him. He's dressed up in his good suit, he's very middle class, very well appointed, and he's got his back to you. He doesn't say anything in his house. Mm -hmm. But you know what his mind is on. He's going to have to go do very dangerous things. And he apparently thinks he's the man for the job. Although, as you said, the circumstances, his home life, his existence in private doesn't seem to uh, suggest that. It's just like you can hide from the brutal truth about Capone. You could deceive yourself or you could be mm -hmm. underestimating Elliot Ness because he seems to be so peaceable and domestic. Mm -hmm. What's he got to get exercised about? What past does he have that's going to make him into a hero? And, and initially, you know, you might think that what he has is just simply this kind of purity of some kind of middle class home, this kind of Protestant Christian home. Uh, he has the federal government 
uh, ostensibly behind him or the authority of the, of the federal government. And so it, all he has, at least from the surface of this initial scene, is just these good intentions and a certain kind of purity. And of course, as the movie will progress, we'll see that that is not sufficient. Um, um, now, he has a lot of virtues and we'll see uh, certain outstanding uh, aspects to his character. But at least in this scene, um, it's not entirely evident that he's going to bring with him what is needed to get done what needs to be done. So looking at Elliot Ness, you don't learn who he is. It's outside his home. It's at the press conference where he announces his mission that you first hear him speak. You see him frontally. You see his face. You see who he is. And there he says he is the first guy who's going to take this job seriously. From now on, enforcement of the Prohibition Amendment, the Volstead Act, the law of the land, is what he calls it, is going to be serious. And the press that had fawned over Capone is openly cynical and mocking about him. Who do you think you are? Some kind of crusader? What are you? And yeah, that's exactly who he is. They say it ironically, but it's literally true that this guy has come there to make a big difference. He's a stranger. We will see that this is a town of Italian gangsters and Irish cops, and they're all Catholics, and they're all sort of lower class. Mm -hmm. He's an outstandingly middle-class Protestant, very wasp, from somewhere else, from back east. He's going to come give them some of that Protestant Puritan thing mm -hmm. that founded America in the first place. He's going to refound Chicago, so to speak. <laughs> And so he says to his troops, there are all these cops that he's never met before, and he tells them, we have got to be pure. I don't know what you guys do in private, maybe you take a drink, maybe you think it's just an innocent little thing, and maybe it is. But we must enforce, and first enforce by example. We will be pure ourselves, we will control ourselves, so that we have a title to control what happens in this city. If we're going to rule other people, if we're going to enforce the rule of law, we first have to do it on ourselves to show that we are deserving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Ness shows the importance of this kind of self-government over his own passions to maintain his purity, his law-abidingness, his virtue. Um, you could, it's understandable to a certain extent that the press uh, would, would be skeptical, not just because their job is to kind of debunk, debunk this kind of high-mindedness, but high-mindedness can come across, especially if you're already in, in, in Chicago, which is, we'll see, the depths of corruption are, are, are deep and they're spread broadly, and they think, well, here's just another guy making high talk about uh, how he's going to fix things. But then we see, and that's with the press, but then when Ness is talking to those cops in that room, um, now, he's, Ness might be unaware of the extent of the corruption there, but he's pointing out that for us to enforce, we need to enforce this law on, our, on, our, on ourselves. We need, to, we need to have this law on our own souls. Uh, this, this will be the basis of uh, how we can effectively do this ultimately, but do it in the right way. Um, and, it's, and it turns out that perhaps it's not just high-minded talk. The press thinks oh, you've got political ambitions, they ask him. You're doing this to run for higher office and make a name for yourself. And he doesn't answer that. And what we see him telling to the cops is that we're going to enforce this law. This is the law of the land. And so that's what our job is to do. It's do it effectively. We need to be able to govern over ourselves. 
And again, that is uh, the press speaking ironically the truth. He does have political ambitions. His political ambition is not to run for office. His political ambition is to restore political self-government, the rule of law in a city that has lost it. And of course, he is underestimated and he is not even taken seriously because, as you said, all these people already have experience of corruption. They laugh at law and they think that makes them sophisticated. Well, they're going to meet a new kind of guy, <laughs> something they're not prepared for. Turns out they're not that sophisticated. And with these first scenes where the characters of the protagonist and the antagonist are established, you get Europe and America, this Italian immigrant who is pretending to be an aristocrat and who throughout the movie will be shown in luxury, in sophistication, dressed like an aristocrat, going to the opera, toasting the star of the opera. <laughs> He's in the high life man of the people but lives in luxury a new caesar and then there's elliot ness mr protestant purity mr principle rule of law equality under the law and he's a completely different kind of guy when he talks about rome it's republican rome if you're gonna try to bribe somebody you will be killed for it by animals mm -hmm. And that's the dignity of the office for him. Mm -hmm. And so you will see throughout that he can't be bought. And this establishes the two meanings of untouchables. Capone mm -hmm. is thought to be untouchable by the press, by everybody. And so people just concede his rule. But then there's this other guy who's untouchable in a different way. He can't be bought. He's mm -hmm. the one guy who can't see reason, who can't agree with everybody else, who can't go along. And this sets up a necessary conflict. What does it mean to be a man of the people? Is it to give them what they want, even if you kind of compel them, like a poem? Or if you compel people to want what is right, to mm -hmm. secure the natural rights that the Declaration tells us all Americans have, to save the innocent from violence, to save people like that little girl, or to do justice for them, to avenge their unjust killings, and to protect everybody else. And this is what establishes the conflict in the plot. What is democracy going to turn into? Is it going to endure on its egalitarian Puritan principles? Or is it going to turn into a kind of mass populism, maybe a tyranny a la Mussolini? Mm -hmm. That's right. So we see then when Ness begins his work, he has some information about a shipment of some Canadian whiskey. And so his is going to be his first big bust. And so they're waiting there and they bulldoze through with the snowplow into this warehouse. And there are, the, there are the crates filled with the Canadian whiskey. There's a, once again, a journalist to hang her on. And, and now Ness is going to have his moment of glory to be able to show that he has uh, made a big, big bust on some liquor. And he busts open the box or the crate and out comes an umbrella. So here we see Ness for the first time becoming aware that his inside information can't be trusted. And as an outsider, he has no way to get in. And you have this kind of despondent moment as he's walking home in there because the media have gotten a big picture of him holding an umbrella and it's front page news, right? Federal G-man, right? You know, busts umbrellas, right? In other words, he's a total waste. I think they call him Madam Butterfly and because uh, they're kind of uh, Asian uh, umbrellas or parasols. And uh, uh, so he is not really sure how he's going to be able to do this. And he realizes that the very people he was telling that they need to have this kind of purity for self-government, they're already kind of bought and sold. And uh, his untouchableness alone is not going to do it. And then you have the surreptitious meeting then between Jimmy Malone, the older beat cop played by Sean Connery, and Elliot Ness on a bridge. 
And it's this meeting that's going to be important for Ness because ultimately Malone is going to get persuaded to join his group and this will make them more effective. Malone will bring kind of the insider's knowledge. He knows all the cops. He knows who's on the take, who's not on the take, who's corrupt, who's not on the corrupt. Uh, the rules of the game of how it works. He has a certain respect, but he's never made it high up in the police force because he himself has not been part of the game. And so uh, through a kind of a strong process of persuasion, uh, ultimately Malone uh, takes it upon himself and he shows up at Elliot Ness's office ready to fight this. And so here's kind of the first key that we see that Ness is going to need this alliance and he's going to need an education from Malone too. So Malone is going to give him an education about real law enforcement, how this works. And we have even these kind of rules he gives over and over again. Yeah, this is Sean Connery in his greatest role. There's a noble man who is at the same time a man of the people. He has a kind of defeated air about him. He's grown old and fat and never had any success. And he's not completely above self-pity. He has no family. He lives alone. He even takes a drink now and then. He's not pure. And this guy who's sort of maybe a little corrupt is also way more principled and way more tough-minded than people give him credit for up until Elliot Ness runs into him and kind of senses this guy is special. He is somebody I could use. He's somebody whose help I need and whose inner greatness I could recognize by asking him, help me, teach me. You know I need to learn. And of course, Elliot Ness has to be defeated first. He thinks that these cat and mouse games mm -hmm. are pretty simple. He's got an inside guy and he got the mm -hmm. news and now they're going to have the bust and it's going to be a sensation. Get the snowplow, get all these cops in <laughs> uniforms with their guns and the truncheons and all that, we're going to be great. It's like a military operation and it's all a bust. But then in his moment of defeat, the night edition of the newspaper is already out to humiliate mm -hmm. him. He, he gets help. He shows up for work and three things happen. First of all, he realizes that his troops make fun of him. The cops are trying to humiliate him because who did he think he is? Who did he think he was and what did he think he was going to get? So high and mighty. Mm -hmm. They mock him behind his back. But at the same time, the mother of the girl who had been blown up comes right. and says to him, thank you for what you're doing. I know you too have children. You understand. You're one of us. You know what we need, that law and order are absolutely necessary if the innocent are to live in peace. And that kind of bucks him up morally, mm -hmm. but it gives him no help practically. And instead, he's got these two helpers showing up mm -hmm. at his office. There's Oscar, the bookkeeper, the guy from Washington, the mm -hmm. expert in statistics, finance, number crunching, mm -hmm. the egghead. But first, there's Malone. There's this practical guy who knows everything and is willing to help him and how is this going to get done malone takes him to church that's right <laughs> he's going to teach him his catechism he's going to take him to a catholic church they're kneeling there behind in front of the bar and he asks him how far are you willing to go mm -hmm. what are you willing to do and at first you see that our Protestant protagonist doesn't want to go anywhere beyond enforcing the laws because there are limits, because there are rules. Mm -hmm. But Sean Connery doesn't relent. 
He tells him, what are you going to do after you've done everything that you're allowed to do? <laughs> do you want to know how to get Capone? Simple. This is the Chicago way. He brings a knife. You bring a gun. He puts one of yours in the hospital. You put one of his in the morgue. Mm -hmm. You have got to accept at some level something worse than respectability and presuming that the rule of law is enforced. You're going to have to enforce it as in war. It's your guys against his guys. You're willing to do that or you're not going to get anything done. Mm -hmm. And all of this, as I said, is done in church. You have got to think about something more than being moral. You got to remember Christ's sacrifice. Who's that blooded on that cross? <laughs> Somebody's going to have to give his life for the people. Mm -hmm. This is not going to end pretty. Already you have foreshadowed sacrifice, blood, death. This is not going to get done by technicalities. Mm -hmm. well, that's So you have to leave the police station for this teaching to go to the church. The police station, the walls have ears, as of course, Ness, I'm sure, has already he's learned the hard way. And in this church, he gets this, this catechism of the necessity to bring blood, to bring violence, to go all the way, to retaliate uh, disproportionately, uh, to use force uh, disproportionately. There is a way here in Chicago that is beneath the veneer of the laws. And that way needs to be understood if you wish to be effective and ultimately uphold the law. And Ness is going to have to figure out if, if he's able to do this. And yet he seems to be willing to put himself under the tutelage of, of, of Malone. Uh, Malone has given him several lessons of being a cop. We're told the first duty of law enforcement is to get yourself home alive in the evening. The second one is with in the Chicago way is that you need to retaliate disproportionately. Put them in the morgue if they put one of yours in the hospital. The third one we hear is don't trust anyone. No one is trustworthy, right? And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, Ness is, is realizing that, uh, that, that he does not in any way take this to think that somehow he can just disregard the self-restraint, the self-government he has in his own soul. He still is going to demand, at least for himself, a certain degree of purity. This gives him the legitimacy and the effectiveness of executing because he is able to govern himself. Um, but now he's becoming aware that that, that in, even in coupling with the law, he's going to have to use this force. And that's going to be that bloodiness, the Catholicism, the Christ on the cross, right? And the sacrifice. And we're going to see some pretty serious sacrifices in this movie. Yep. And then there's the egghead. Then there's Oscar, who's <laughs> sitting in Elliot Ness's office in his chair, very self-satisfied as if he belongs there. Because, of course, it's the scientists who rule us. It's the guy who knows how to crunch the numbers. And he's got ideas. He thinks, you can get Capone. Look at all this weird stuff with his income. He's not paying taxes. And, of course, Elliot Ness's first reaction is, you've got to be kidding me. You're not for real. Have you not seen? There's people dying here. There's no amount of number crunching that can fix that. And so he can't use this guy just now. Mm -hmm. For a lot of time, you see that guy's just a joke, this mm -hmm. little egghead. Instead, they have to go get something else done. You've got these two guys who have knowledge. 
Sean Connery has practical knowledge. He knows what Chicago is. He can teach this foreigner and he can get things done. You don't want to know how did he find out, but he knows. Mm -hmm. The other guy has a knowledge that's too abstract to apply now, but at some point you could get this done. You could get knowledge of the, the laws of taxation and all this stuff. It could be useful, but not if you're weak and defenseless. Mm -hmm. And before you get to apply any of the knowledge, the practical or the more scientific, you got to go get yourself a man with a gun. <laughs> you can't trust the cops here. So you're going to have to find somebody who's trustworthy. If you can't trust nobody, find the nobody. It's, it, we, the, the, uh, the analogy that uh, Malone makes is that when all the apples are rotten, you have to pick one from the tree, right? So you have to pick the fruit from the tree, meaning take it, don't get your cop from the corrupt apple barrel of the police force themselves. Go to the beginning, go to where they're cadets in the, uh, in the academy. And of course, here's where they bump into uh, George Stone or Giuseppe Petri, who's changed his name. And uh, we find out that he is, we see a scene of him doing target practice with his gun, and he's quite proud of it as he just unloads his six-shooter and six shots into the, into the target, and uh, kind of a smile on his face. And he's brought over and interviewed, and Malone interviews him, and he says, why do you want to be a cop? And he says, oh, to protect and serve and protect. He's like, no, tell me, why do you want to be a cop, you? And he insults his, his Italian heritage. We now have the, the Irish pig uh, calling the, uh, the Italian wop uh, this, that, or the other thing. But what we see here is that this kind of Malone is kind of appealing to uh, this. He's trying to attempting to insult his kind of ethnic dignity and pride. And what do we see? George is going to fight. And that's when we realize this guy, he pulls his gun. That's who we want. He's a sharpshooter. He's a prodigy, we're told. And now we know he's going to fight and he's not going to hesitate to shoot or at least pull his gun at this point. And that's they need this guy. Yep, the George Stone, we quickly learn, is Americanizing, but is not fully American yet. He wants to be a success. He's coming from the low classes. He's from the south side of Chicago, mm -hmm. but he wants to be respectable. But Malone needs somebody who's not that respectable. It's great <laughs> to be all American, just another citizen. You can change your name. You can become another guy. But it's very important if you find a guy who knows where he's coming from, who's got ethnic pride, who's going to stand up for himself in a manly way. If you insult him, he's not going to just take it. You need manliness first. Like we know from Aristotle's ethics, manliness is the first of the That's virtues. Right, right? Without that, you can't get the others. And so he insults this guy to see how he reacts. You don't need to know what people say. Everybody's going to parrot the same respectability. Mm -hmm. But you need to see what they would do. What are they going to do in the face of danger? Mm -hmm. And this young guy, he thinks he's got nothing to lose. He's going to stand up for himself. You can't talk to him like that. When you have these kind of these, this ethnicity thing going on throughout with the Irish and the Italians, and of course, there's a lot of back and forth insulting. And yet what we see here is it gives them a place to stand. There's some sense of pride. And uh, when, when pushed, they're going to fight for it. And and so that that itself is 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 a kind of a basis that they know something needs to be defended and willing to fight for it. We know Ness's family kind of suburban or or uh, suburban or or outside of the city. It's a much more peaceful neighborhood, single dwelling household, right? We have this kind of Protestant uh, domestic bliss. 
Um, but then we have these other guys, uh, uh, Jimmy Malone. He's kind of been through it, but he never quite made a name for himself, but with his, his Irish pride, although uh, Sean Connery came under a lot of criticism for his bad Irish accent. But, uh, uh, and then we have Giuseppe uh, changing his name to George, George Stone, George Petrie. And he, uh, he that, that kind of uh, background that he has gives him the ability to want to fight, that kind of first of manliness, the first virtue of courage, uh, and a willingness to fight and defend. And now that you've got the team here, now that you've got everybody armed, they arm Oscar too. The egghead's <laughs> going to have to put down his ledger and grab a shotgun. They go on a raid. And here you see for the first time why Malone insists so much on ignoring respectability, on getting under people's skins, on forcing them to go beyond what they're comfortable with. Because he knows where the alcohol is, the post office deals with it. <laughs> it's like the mail. Come rain or come shine. You gotta have that stuff. And all of a sudden, Elliot Ness is shocked. You had better be sure, Malone. <laughs> He's willing to go on busts in warehouses in maybe poor neighborhoods. He's not willing to believe that it's the respectable people who are perpetrating the corruption. Mm -hmm. This is the government we're talking about here. But Malone tells him, everybody knows. The question is who's willing to do anything about it. Are you willing to do something mm -hmm. about it? And Ness decides, yep. Yep. I'm the man for the job. And so they go in and they bust everybody and they bust the case wide open. All of a sudden, the respectability is blown off and the ugly truth is revealed and nobody can hide anymore. Mm -hmm. What was hidden in plain sight, but when you cross the line, go through that door that you can't come back, Ness is willing to do this. This will now be publicized. Now we have a victory for Ness's team. And this, of course, is going to get Capone's notice. And he's not in the, in the slightest bit happy about this, this event. And uh, we see the scene with uh, Capone, De Niro, uh, with his, all of his henchmen, and they're at a luncheon. And once again, we have a wonderful speech given by Capone here uh, to, his, uh, to his henchmen. And he says, everybody who is successful must have enthusiasms and things that give them joy. And what gives me joy, we're told? Baseball, he picks up a bat. And then he gives the story about how just that the batter at the, at the plate is insufficient. You need to have the team out there. So here we have kind of the first kind of teamwork kind of uh, a seminar for uh, employees. And of course, sitting at the table is the guy at the post office who ran the ring in the post office that got busted. And Capone tells him what happens when you get busted. He bashes his head in. And so once, you know, now we're, we're much clearer if we have worked at this point what this guy is up to and what he's capable of doing. Yep. It's uh, all American Al Capone all over again saying America's pastime, baseball. We're in it together. <laughs> sure, I'm preeminent like the batter at the plate. I'm the star. You know, it's me, Babe Ruth. It's me, Ty Cobb. But I need the team. Everybody's got to do their job on defense. Screw with me and I screw with you. Fail mm -hmm. and you die. Turns out that the team is not as egalitarian as all that. Mm -hmm. Turns out that the star of the team can bash somebody's head in if he's dissatisfied. And you see again behind the veneer of American equality, getting the people what they want, being a man of the people, this stark inequality mm -hmm. shows up and murder, blood is the, the necessary consequence.
-hmm. When a man elevates himself to this level, he's got to bring everybody down on their knees. And that's the first consequence of the new daring of Elliot Ness. The second one, of course, is bribing. Somebody mm -hmm. comes along and says, I'm a local politician. Mm -hmm. You did a great thing. You're a star now. Here, you can get paid. You annoyed us, we'll bribe you. You're worth something now. We ignored you before. Now that we can't ignore you, we'll try to buy you. And Elliot Ness bristles at that and rejects it. And then the politician makes a threat. He says, you think you're untouchable? Nobody's untouchable. Right. Everyone can be got to. And so we see Frank Nitti, the assassin, the enforcer for Capone, is now outside Elliot Ness's home. Oh, oh. <laughs> nice house you got there, right? Your sure hate got to a see, birthday. Sure hate to see something happen to it. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see why Elliot had looked for bachelors for his team. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to take the blame for creating orphans and widows, but he is willing to take that risk for himself. And all of a sudden, you see, he's not an average Joe. Mm -hmm. He knows what trouble he's getting into, and he tries his hardest to save his family. And the first thing that goes is the family home. Mm -hmm. The family home turns into a war room now. That's right. It's your headquarters on the move, but the family's got to be hidden off somewhere and you're not going to be seeing the wife and kid. His pregnant wife and kid. For that exactly. Yeah. There's this, all the scenes with the family are incredibly tender and beautiful to the point of propaganda. Yes. Here is the perfect middle class American life. How Protestant and beautiful is that? Everything so homely, everything so dignified. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be ironic, but it's also dead serious. Mm -hmm. You have a separation of genders that will scare people nowadays. Oh my God, woman in the kitchen and the guy in his study. And she worships him. You see it in her eyes. She's so, so supportive. Mm -hmm. I think the Palma is dead serious about that. Mm -hmm. You want your middle class men to act like heroes? They're going to have to have this kind of support. Sure enough. I think, you know, the uh, the propagandistic kind of look of it, which we'll see kind of throughout the movie in certain parts. But I think this is kind of De Palma uh, mid to late career, career for him, thinking that sometimes you have to draw in very broad brushstrokes if even it comes to a point of hitting some some of the audience over the head for them to kind of see what's at stake here. There's a kind of a thoughtfulness to this in the sense of having to kind of point out what could otherwise just be missed in this story. And so you have to draw these stark contrasts and you have to kind of paint in a way that is uh, the, the, the Capone and his luxurious lodgings and his, his uh, camel, camel, uh, uh, camel hair coat and the, the domesticity of, of the home. But this is to show that this is, there is something really at stake. And, you know, of course, even looking back just at the beginning, the, the brutal blowing up of that girl. Right? And so this is the Palma, I think, trying to point to us here that we need to think about these characters and maybe we need to erase around the edges some of what would be kind of the blurry spark parts so that we could see with greater clarity. Yes, exactly. The Palma is here to tell you, I read my Aristotle and poetry is more philosophical than history because it clarifies things for you. There are no accidents unless we want them there. There's not going to be the stuff that makes things hard to figure out what's happening, who's doing what. Well, here you see, do you want the glamour of Europe, aristocrats, Al Capone, or do you want decency like with Elliot Ness? Mm -hmm. And of course, we know that in reality, Elliot Ness had at least three wives, though, of course, not at the same time. It takes a lot out of a man. 
but uh, in this movie, he's got one life, one wife, a family he loves and would never desert, and all that stuff that clarifies in a way history wouldn't. And it's important to see how much effort Mamet and De Palma put into telling this story right. You gotta understand the truth about what happened with Prohibition. You gotta understand who Elliot Ness was, what he stood for, who Capone was, and what he was threatening to do to Chicago and therefore to America. Mm -hmm. You can't leave it to the press because they're gulled. They're gullible and they're losers in a certain way. Always mm -hmm. out to get the story, always missing it if it's in plain sight. But somebody's gonna have to tell the truth. You can't let people forget. You can't let people confuse things. And so truth-telling turns out to require quite a lot of fiction. <laughs> if you want to be subtle, you're going to have to say some things very, very plainly and clearly in strong colors and stark contrasts. Mm -hmm. And this is how the conflict is prepared. From now on, the second and third acts of the movie will include quite a lot of violence. It's not just making moral decisions and arresting people. People start killing each other mm -hmm. over here. The raids get bloodier and uh, we get a, a bit of heroism this city cop guy this federal government treasury man who works for j edgar hoover he's he's gonna be a cowboy mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. take an airplane <laughs> to the canadian border they're there on horseback they're gonna charge everybody with a gun and a horse everybody understanding you gotta take the fight to them mm -hmm. you're going to have to do everything you're gonna have to do and even in this scene, so we see you, in order to make the raid, they end up killing all of the uh, mob uh, mobsters except for one. And uh, even the one they don't kill, they threaten to kill him and are willing to use deception when Malone pretends he's trying to get information from him and he puts a gun into the dead man's mouth while the other live guy's looking at him, the mobster who they've captured, and he tells him, you better fess up, I'm going to count to one, two, three, he blows his head off. And this is what is going to get the the, uh, uh, the mobster that they've caught to explain now the details. They had to use force to, to now they've got liquor on their hands. So they have that as evidence. And they've taken now this ledger where they can see who's being paid which amount of money. And uh, so we, this, the ledger will be useful in terms of the law for things like uh, going after Capone for bribery or tax evasion, but not for murder. But of course, to get it required use of force, use of deception. The Canadian cop is outraged when he sees Malone kill the, uh, shoot the dead man. Uh, he says, well, I don't approve of your methods, in which uh, Ness tells him, well, you're not from Chicago. And so this is what is required to be able to stop this. This is the first time Elliot Ness has to kill a guy. Mm -hmm. He's shocked that he has to do it. He doesn't hesitate, but afterwards he's shocked. How could somebody not give up when you tell him, I've got a gun on you, what are you going to do? Well, some people won't listen. He says, what do you think? This is a game. It's mm -hmm. absurd to talk to a corpse, but he's telling a deep truth there. Some people cannot be persuaded even by fear. Mm -hmm. And he's scared of what he's had to do, but he's, he's in for a penny and so he's in for a pound. Mm -hmm. There's no way back out of this. Even he is shocked when he sees Malone pretend to kill a guy. He's mm -hmm. desecrating a corpse there. Mm -hmm. But he can't stop. you got to terrify people. you got to put the fear of God into this guy because he thinks, yeah, you busted me, you got the alcohol, you got the ledger, but it's coded, and we've got lawyers and judges in our pockets, so we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. 
you gotta terrify people if you want to bring them to justice so long as they think that they own the law there's nothing you can do to them that's right you know i think you know so ness at this point and the untouchables they really do think they have all the goods now they need to take down capone they get the da to bring charges they have this guy who's, who's willing to speak and on and testify to say what the ledger means and so here uh, and, and ness even tells his wife you know you're looking at the man who brought down al capone but of course we hear al capone say you know life is uh, i like to liken life as a boxing match right and the last man standing is what's going on so this fight is far from over that this is going to lead to more violence the uh so first we see the first of the untouchables to go the first to go is oscar the bookkeeper right you might say the one while he he fought with a, a great deal of intensity and enthusiasm at the border. Nonetheless, he finds himself vulnerable in an elevator as he's escorting the, the uh, mobster who's gonna testify for him. But they, of course, get uh, brutally assassinated uh, by the Frank Nitti character who will show up one of Capone's henchmen. Frank Nitti was the guy who had already threatened Ness. And so uh, we realize this is not over because now they can't bring charges because because they don't have the guy to testify against Capone. And so you're going to have to keep it going. Yeah, so the first act is about morality. Can you learn what you need to learn to enforce the law? The second act is about law. Can you get the evidence that you need to bring things to a court of law? Can you do the police work? But this should be the end of the story. It's America, land of the just. <laughs> Turns out, no. Some assassin can show up and kill your star witness, kill the people who work for you. Cops get murdered here. All of a sudden, all this celebration takes a very grim turn. And it turns out that there's a third act necessary that's all about politics. What do you do when there's corrupt cops? What do you do when the DA cares more about his reputation if he thinks it's not going to be a winnable case? What do you do when there are circuit judges on the take? Mm -hmm. What do you do, as we learn later, when Frank Nitti has a permit to carry a gun, an assassin in a court of law, because the mayor signed it? <laughs> mm -hmm. And when the jury is all bribed in the pocket, this is going to require something far beyond that. And what's interesting is we see here that uh, uh, Ness is now going to be willing to take it further than he ever had. And when he shot the guy at the raid at the Canadian border, this was a huge shock to him. Uh, he's able to get over it, but he's thinking, what's going on? Is this a game? Is this just a game? Uh, but he thinks that it's over. And now he realizes with his friend Oscar being shot, his, his, his uh, band, his brother and his little band here of Untouchables, and now the case is falling apart, you're going to have to keep going. You're going to have to cross another line. Right? And we'll see there's going to have to be other lines that are even crossed. And there's more sacrifice that's going to be needed to be made. But what's interesting is that Ness, if we go back to that kind of first scene where he says that to execute the law, execute it by example, we need to remain pure. Even if it's just a, a harmless drink, let's refrain from doing that. We, we don't see Ness in any way kind of at this point and really throughout the movie ever becoming cynical about the law itself. It's just that he now sees that the very possibility of having the law in this circumstance for those who who are not playing a game, who refuse to listen and will shoot all the way to the end uh, and everybody is on the take, the DA, or well, maybe not the DA, but the, but the jury for sure and all the cops and the mayor, 
this the, the this is we're we're not in a situation where there is the rule of law. It's kind of a lawless situation, a state of nature, you might even say. And so we need to have the foundation of the law to protect everybody's rights. Uh, is going to have to push it further. Yeah, Al Capone is this super sumptuous, luxurious guy, and his luxury <clears throat> hides cruelty. And Chicago is the second city. It's a great place, and nevertheless, all the money and fame hides tyranny. And all of a sudden, Elliot Ness learns that his men are touchable, that they will be murdered. Mm -hmm. And he, as you pointed out, the jury is bought. What happens to the rule of law when the constitutional guarantee of a criminal trial by a jury of your peers is in a situation where Al Capone has no peers. He can mm -hmm. buy and sell people. Mm -hmm. Who's going to judge him? There is a great danger that American democracy is going to fight here. Elliot Ness, the Puritan, the Protestant, Mr. Justice, is going to have to find out that if you want to secure the inalienable rights life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all that good stuff, you're going to have to pledge your life and your sacred honor. Mm -hmm. And from now on, we're moving beyond the laws to what is needed to establish them in the first place. After all, the declaration wouldn't be worth practically a lot had there not been a lot of men willing to die and who succeeded. That's right. And so things get darker from now on. And Malone is murdered too. Mm -hmm. He risks everything. He breaks with the corrupt cops and he has his own fight in order to find out the truth, to figure out what he needs to get the bookkeeper of Al Capone. There's a second bookkeeper, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. there's, there's somebody who could still nail the case if you can get him and compel him to testify. And you see here that the heroic bookkeeper that the Treasury Department from Washington sent to help Elliot Ness for his nobility, he was murdered. You need this other cowardly guy to scare him, and he'll live. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The good guys have to sacrifice. And that is a tragic lesson to learn, but it's part of what the movie has to teach. And the sacrifice of Malone shows, uh, again, that it's not enough to know what's going on. It's not enough to figure out the ins and outs and all the ends. Because at some point or another, somebody might murder you too. Mm -hmm. Everybody is touchable. Everybody is mortal. Everybody is vulnerable. And the question is, who's willing to risk that? I mean, you, you have the police chief. And so it's, you know, Malone has to turn to the police chief to get information. You know, I guess the assumption is at least the chief has been one of the uh, sources that he's been getting information about Capone. And he wants the information of where can we get this bookkeeper? They're going to try to get him out of town. Where can we get him? And the police chief tells him, just in this, Jimmy, stop doing this. Go take a vacation. Take some time off. You're going to be dead if you do this. But he, uh, Malone is insistent. He fights. He fights dirty in that fight. And we, we realize he gets the information. Um, but we also find out that somehow Capone's men have found the information of where Malone's house is. Is this the same police chief that transferred that information? And that address with Frank Nitty and another man that's how they're able to get inside his house and uh, kill him. And it's an incredibly bloody scene. And here we have the second sacrifice, right? So we lose the bookkeeper, we lose the accountant, the numbers guy, and now we lose our kind of insider knowledge, practical man who can finesse a situation, who kind of is able to see the entirety, who understands and has been educating all along 
ness about what the Chicago way is, now he's lost. But he has secured the information needed to figure out where this second bookkeeper is going to be taken. And this brings us to the most beautiful, most dramatic scene in the movie, the climactic showdown at the train station. Here's Brian De Palma's homage to Sergei Eisenstein, to Battleship Potemkin, the beautiful 1925 movie that was supposed to justify the Russian Revolution, communism, and fighting for the people in an incredibly high art mood. And it would seem that the Palma is just stealing something. He's just nodding maybe to cinephiles. He's just trying to get drama, but he's not. He really is comparing prohibition to the Russian Revolution. They are both, if you think about it, all about egalitarianism mm -hmm. and the kind of moral crusade on behalf of the people, of purity, of principle. And both create incredible violence. In the Russian movie, Eisenstein, a kind of convinced communism, suggests that the people who shot the, the civilians protesting at Odessa, the army, they were the bad guys. In the De Palma movie, the cops are the good guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're right to fight the way they do. You can take Russian propaganda in short and high art and apply it to America because mm -hmm. America is a different place. Right. There is at least the potential mm -hmm. for rule of law. It does function. It could be saved. Being a man of the people in this case is compatible with enforcing law. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting throughout the movie, we never hear about the wisdom or the soundness of the 18th Amendment and the Volstead Act. Uh, we don't, we're not we're not, there's no discussion as to whether or not this is actually a good law or not. Ness just takes it as his job is to uphold the law. So he's a crusader in, in sense that he wishes to get rid of crime and corruption in Chicago and uphold the law. But he doesn't seem to have too much of a problem uh, 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 with, we'll see towards the end, when the, when the law gets repealed. Um, and so it's not as if he is a crusader and a kind of a moral crusade of a kind of a moral egalitarianism that might be akin to a kind of a communism that could come from some kind of Puritan roots. Um, you know, he has that high-minded talk, but uh, he's also, he's there, he's going to uphold, uphold the law just because it is the law. Well, it's because if you don't uphold the law, terrible corruption comes. Mm -hmm. Whenever... Uh, an unjust law, even just an imprudent law is passed in America, you create this conflict between the institutions of America and on the other hand the people and what they want. And this turns out to be the greatest threat to democracy. And that's why you have to have this conflict between the low-class criminals on the one hand and the middle-class policemen or rather federal G-men on the other hand. Mm -hmm. Indeed, the, the policemen in Chicago are themselves in the lower classes. The police commissioner makes fun of Sean Connery, of Malone. Why is he dressing like an English country gentleman? What's with these soft clothes? Mm -hmm. What is he going to the circus? What does he think? It's Halloween? Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to show the class conflict that's brewing up here and also an ethnic conflict between these immigrants who are newer and, on the other hand, the Protestant Puritan founders of America. And shockingly enough, De Palma and Mamet, immigrants, children of immigrants, that is mm -hmm. to say, mm -hmm. David Mamet's a Jew and uh, De Palma is Italian, they're sticking up, strangely enough, for the Puritan Protestant founders of America. Mm -hmm. These immigrants have to be taught, even though they're right, you should have a right to drink, 
They have to be taught that it's more important to obey the law. They have got to be absorbed within the America of the Declaration and the Constitution. First of all, we can talk about repealing the Volstead Act or the Prohibition Amendment later. And of course, the you know the kind of redo homage to the Odessa Step scene. You know, so here, once again, we're reminded kind of what this is about in the sense of the consequences of such corruption and, and lawlessness, because we have the mother with her infant in the baby carriage, which, of course, points us back to Elliot Ness's own family, which points us back to the mother whose daughter was blown up. And so we see here what's going on. And of course, this is going to lead to a very well, beautifully orchestrated uh, gunfight scene. And uh, as the criminals come in, and sure enough, there's the accountant with them. And we get this uh, orchestrated scene. All of the mobsters are killed. Uh, we have uh, Andy Garcia is there with them. Andy Garcia plays George, Giuseppe, and Ness is there. And they're able to take it down. And remember, Giuseppe Stone is the protege marksmanship. And so he's able to get uh, get the last kill, save the baby, throw the gun to Elliot Ness in this kind of slow motion scene. And now they have the second bookkeeper. Now they can reopen the case. The DA is willing to go ahead. They're going to try. They're going to this time. They're going to get Capone. Yeah. So there's a question. Is Elliot Ness actually going to be able to save a baby? Is he really going to save the innocent? Mm -hmm. What do you do when your priority is to kill the killers? Happily, he's not alone in this. All the knowledge guys are dead, but all the action guys are still alive. Mm -hmm. It's Elliot Ness and George Stone. And Andy Garcia shines in this moment. Mm -hmm. You see the violence, the grace, the confidence, the beauty. It is an amazing portrayal. It's, it's almost caricatural. Mm -hmm. It's so well done. It's almost comical how, how easily graceful he is. It's almost like propaganda. The good guy is winning. But it's also... Uh, a serious about the emotions, the psychology. How do you feel when the good guys win? Why are Americans so confident? Well, that's why. They, they look like, you know, in baseball, to go back to Al Capone's image, graceful, successful, amazing. Mm -hmm. They deserve praise. And if you don't think that there are Americans who are capable of upholding principles and defending the laws, then you're not going to get heroes. And if you're not going to get heroes, you're going to put the Palma and Mamet out of business. Mm -hmm. And there is a connection here between the truly noble men who sacrifice for the public and the true writers of stories who tell the truth about America in poetry, in fiction. It ain't exactly history, but mm -hmm. it's even better. It's more beautiful mm -hmm. and also truer in a strange way. Well, that's right, because here, I mean, we have the, I mean, what is more vulnerable than a, than a woman with her toddler carrying uh, the, the stroller up the steps? And you, we see here the difficulty, they need to enforce the law. The entire city depends upon capturing this uh, bookkeeper guy. And yet now we have the mother with her, with her son. We see all kinds of individuals walking in and out. We can't tell whether or not they're, they're uh, some of them look suspicious. It's hard to tell exactly who's going to be the criminal or not. They can kind of hide in plain sight. So we see a man walk in and, and immediately catches Ness's attention as suspicious. But it just turns out he's standing there waiting for his wife. Then they kiss and they leave. And so this is a, it's a sophisticated scene. There's sailors in the scene. There's janitors on the floor washing the floor. There's other passersby. And so we have this, 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 this scene that is painting, I think, what is at stake here? Uh, what is needed to uphold the law, right? 
and yet everything that is can be immediately jeopardized doing that. There's a decision. I suppose Les could have said, this is too risky, let's not do it. But he's already risked his family, so these standards, these you know, stand standby people are also going to be placed at risk. And some of the sailors get shot. You see them get shot. Yeah, there's a picture of America there happening in the background of this heroic action, these good guys and bad guys shooting it out. There are people, nobody's going to help this woman carry her suitcases <laughs> and her kid stroller up the stairs. That's very plausible. That's one of the ugly things in America. And it contrasts starkly with the heroism of Elliot Ness and George Stone. And uh, then there are the sailors who get shot because they're trying to reach the baby stroller that's going down the stairs. They're trying to save that child in the middle of a shootout. And as you pointed out, it's liberal America, we're all free, everybody has a private life. Who knows who's a friend and who's an enemy? Mm -hmm. Who knows who you can trust and who you have to fear? It's all a confusion and it takes, of course, the poetry of the Palma and Mamet to stage it in just the right way so you can find out mm -hmm. who is the good guy, who is the bad guy. Don't knock the black and white moral picture. Be thankful that there's somebody who's figuring it out and helping you see it right. Be thankful you're getting a little bit. You're getting hit over the head a bit because now you're it's it's pointing you to see what's what's really going on. It's clarifying the situation more so than once again I'd say kind of a race around the edges. Get rid of the kind of blurry spots so that we could see with greater clarity. Yep. And this brings us finally at long last, two hours later, into the court of law. Will there be justice after all? After all the bloodshed, after all the danger, will there be justice? Can America be rescued? Can the rule of law be enforced? And here we run into the most dangerous thing of them all. This is the scene where Kevin Costner, Elliot Ness, declares how far he has fallen from what he once thought he should be in terms of moral purity. He says, I have beheld and I have become what I beheld and I am content that I did right. Mm -hmm. His belief in justice has caused him to break the laws, to forego respectability, to risk his family, to lead his friends to get themselves killed. He has jeopardized everything because he wants to bring down Capone and uphold the rule of law and he's not gonna let a judge stand in his way and he's willing to threaten that judge to expose him as corrupt when he knows for damn sure the judge ain't corrupt. Mm -hmm. But one man's gotta decide, is it gonna be our you know, president? That's what Elliot Ness plays here, mm -hmm. the executive officer mm -hmm. who's going to protect and defend the constitution. He's going to execute his office. He's going to enforce the laws and his own office. And he's apparently not going to let this judge get in the way. That's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. And even that's not enough. Because poetry, in a way, is more perfect than history. And so the last conflict is between Elliot Ness and Frank Nitti. Now, in reality, of course, they put Capone in jail. But all that meant is Frank Nitti took over. He was his <laughs> right-hand man, the enforcer. And he became the next chief of the mob, the outfit in Chicago. But in the story, Elliot Ness risks his life one more time and he kills Frank Nitti too. Mm -hmm. That's extrajudicial killing. That's There's right. no justifying it. And it's not just simply revenge because Frank Nitti is uh, egging on Elliot Ness saying, you know, your friend, uh, Jimmy, who I killed, you know, he died like a dirty pig. He squealed like a pig. And of course, this enrages Elliot Ness. But he... And he throws him off the roof of a building. It's a pretty brutal act. 
But this is to bring about this order. He's now realized that that is even what is required. You know, the first time he kills the guy at the Canadian border, this, you know, what is this, a game? He is visibly upset. He's shaken. Uh, this time he is less shaken. He's still shaken. But this needs to get done. And then you need to tell the judge. You, you need to tell the judge that, hey, this jury has been bought out. We need a new jury. And the judge says, oh, I see no reason for this. And then uh, Ness tells him, well, guess what? Your name's in the book, too. And uh, um, here we find out later that that's probably not the case, but it persuades the judge out of fear of being shown to be corrupt, or perhaps maybe he actually was on the, on the take somehow to change the jury. And this is what brings uh, the, you know, Capone's defense to just say, okay, we plead guilty, we plead guilty. And so they've, they've got their man. But, uh, but that statement that uh, Ness makes that I'm convinced that I acted in the right, even though I beheld what I, what I thought was not good, I found myself having to do uh, what I beheld, but I was in the right. And this is, those kinds of actions make the very idea of the law and what would we require to secure our rights uh, available in the first place. If you have characters like Capone going around, then this isn't going to be good for anybody unless somebody's willing to stand up and sacrifice. And we've seen those sacrifices, Jimmy and Oscar and others. Yeah, that's the founding moment again for the law. If you're going to secure people's rights, you're going to have to get rid of these would-be tyrants. Frank Nitti tells him, oh yeah, I killed your friend and I'm going to skate. I'm going to walk. <laughs> you think they're going to fry me? No, we've got the mayor in our pocket. It'll be cakewalk for me. And at some level, Ness says, yeah, it's probably true. It really is a super corrupt situation. But you know what? We can kill you. Yeah. I'll take it on me. And all of a sudden, he's willing to commit murder and endanger his Christian soul. For all his Protestant mm -hmm. idea of morality, he's got to remember that blood has got to be shed. And he's willing to do it. And this puts him in this shocking position. He's finally really broken a law and mm. broken a command. He's done something mm. that's damn near unforgivable or straight up unforgivable. You don't know. But he's the man of the hour. He is who was necessary. The laws are not ultimately capable of enforcing themselves. I mean, unlike Capone, he doesn't break the law so that there will be no lawlessness. Uh, or unlike we might say certain kind of crusading moral reforms. You don't break the law in order to bring about perfect justice, right? Here we have a breaking of the law, there's no doubt about it, and yet this was, he never was in any way to question the validity of the rule of law. Like I said, we, you'd never hear any discussion about whether or not the Volstead Act was prudent or wise or decent legislation. It's the law, that's what we must do. And so the, the conditions for the law uh, requires something outside of the law, that something else is necessary. And uh, he, he, he does this, that points back to his, you know, his statement about our purity and our capacity to govern our own selves, our own appetites, our own passions, say, in, in terms of our example, is what can allow for execution. Yep, the executive power is executive because sometimes it has to execute people. There's no way to enforce the laws ultimately unless you are willing to kill the unjust. Either you do the duty of justice or innocent children will be murdered. And that's a shocking statement for the Palma and Mamet to make, but they're apparently completely unhesitant. They think that you can actually improve on history. 
Be American to the hilt. Don't stop at Capone. Get Frank Nitti too. It's an amazing, bold, audacious thing to do. And it's it's a perfect ending, except that this is America. We end in America after the myth is over. And so there's a newspaper man. The people are coming here to ask, how about you, Elliot Ness? Who do you think you are? What are you doing? And he, and he tells him, well, you know, I just I just happened to be there. You know, give us a statement about the man who brought down Capone. I'm just happened to be there when the wheel turned in the right way. Right. In other words, all this that we've seen, you know, I didn't stand up and take responsibility and make all of these risks and see, you know, and sacrifices and do what was required to provide for the public good. Right? I just happened to be there at the turn of the wheel. So in public, Ness is not going to promote himself. And once again, this might be some kind of poetry because Ness wrote a book called The Untouchables, right? So he did do some self-promotion here. But uh, uh, De Palma and Mamet want us to see it as that somehow in a democracy, the best way perhaps is to show that it wasn't just extraordinary virtue on my part. He's going to concede something. To democracy. It would have seemed if he had come out of there saying, look how great I am. I am your hero. Please worship me now. That that could be corrupting as well. And so he's just he just happened to be there when the wheel turned. Yeah. And on the other hand, the more he plays up his everyman aspect, I'm just another American in an America full of us, that could inspire people. Of course. I could be Elliot Ness too. I could be the next guy to make a difference. And everybody knows Every man are sometimes required in a moment of crisis, somebody's going to have to step up and save people. And that's part of America, too. Mm-hmm. It means underrating heroes somewhat, but it also means cultivating heroism in ordinary citizens. Mm-hmm. In extraordinary circumstances, they might just be heroic, too. And at the same time, Elliot Ness says, I'm going back to a normal life like a normal American. Mm-hmm. He's asked, what are you going to do? <laughs> They've repealed prohibition. I'm going to have a drink. He's not pure. He's not some kind of puritan in that sense. Uh He's one of us. I get drinks every day. He gets a drink now because it's legal. He was never about tyrannizing America in the name of morality. He was about putting power behind American morality to enforce equality under the law, to secure the inalienable rights that we all have, as the Declaration says. (coughs) And... And indeed, you're right. Again, our poets improve on history. Elliot Ness is just like the rest of us. You got to promote yourself. You got to sell yourself. You got to go out there and then put your name out there. And you got to try and get some attention. You got to get something. But in poetry, he can be even nobler than that. That's right. He can be unprepossessing. He can be discreet and he can understate his greatness because of course there's Mamet and De Palma there to show his true greatness and persuade us. Do you identify with a sort of clueless but really great heartedness? Then then in your heart you will see his greatness and then you'll believe that yep, there's immortal glory there. Mm-hmm. Even Oscar, even eggheads get to be heroes in That's this right. movie. They can sure. blow people up and eventually you run out of bullets, you lead a charge with that shotgun. And of course, Andy Garcia, are you a hothead? You could be a hero too. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets to be a hero in America and you might not even want to. Circumstances (laughs) might force it on you, but it's part of the citizen duty. It's not just the president, the chief executive officer has to execute his office and sometimes execute people. 
It's ordinary citizens who might one day have to act. That's right. And George Stone, Giuseppe Petri, the stone, building a foundation uh, upon something new. And of course, he's he's the true cop. Ness is just the government, the treasury man. And Giuseppe's the, the product of the, the cadets who's planning on going into the Chicago police force. And we see a kind of a passing on because Jimmy had his uh, St. Jude medal, uh, the, the patron saint of... Uh, lost causes and of, we're told, the police. And uh, uh, of course, now since Jimmy's dead, that medallion is going to be passed on to Giuseppe because he wouldn't have wanted to have a cop to have it. So Yep. Peter has to inherit, doesn't he? He has the keys to this world. <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> That's well, that... the concluding Christian joke, but it is, again, deadly serious. Malone, the Irishman, Americanized, and he died for America. And George Stone, the name-changed Italian, he too has Americanized and he too risked his life for America and everybody can be American. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's a strange, rare, but deeply true and uplifting message. It really is. It, it, this, is uh, this is one of the few of De Palma's movies, I could say, where you, you kind of walk away with that kind of uplifting message. It is, it's, it's, it's a kind of tragedy to see Jimmy Malone in this horrible death scene, which is played simultaneously as the opera tragedy at Pagliacci's going on. And there's this very moving music being played. But that turns out not to be the end of the story. It does, yes, lead to even more extra-legal violence, but we see there's a kind of victory at the end for what Elliot Ness is convinced of himself, that he was acting in the right. Yep, and you have that great touch that Capone is there at the opera and toasting the opera star and weeping at the fate of the <laughs> sad clown Pagliacci <laughs> while he's preparing tragedies of his own, having Malone assassinated, and he dies in the arms of Elliot Ness, all blood and then desperation and trying to tell the truth to help out one last time this crusade for justice. And you see, that is the true tragedy. It's happening in America, somewhere in the streets of Chicago. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be on stage and everybody's in tailcoats and evening gowns and they're appreciating it as an aesthetic show. It's not the opera. It's the movies that mm -hmm. give America the true tragedies and the true heroes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wondered, you know, De Palma even kind of pointing to himself because we see here, aha, uh -huh, as we were watching it, you noted Capote is a producer of tragedies, just as a producer would make an opera. Or we have a director of movies. And you see here that the, the director, right, how are you going to direct, right? This might even have moral implications. And in this instance, De Palma uh, wanted to, to point out then that, the, the, being a director of sorts, right, putting on stages shows, as Capone does, with his press conferences and all of his glamour and his entourage and these fancy hotels that he lives in and, uh, and at the opera and so on. You know, he's also directing the lives of others for his own uh, you know, material gain and his own glory and for wealth and using just force and violence and cruelty to uphold him. And then there is this other way. You can have true storytelling. It's somehow even better than history. It's going to tell America who the real heroes are and why they're heroes, in what way they uphold American principles all of us believe in and often see fail, actually. You know that there's injustice, tragedy, misery in this world, and that's why heroes are needed, mm -hmm. so that sometimes things are solved. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get a win. That's right. Yeah. 
Well, John, we've come to the end of this story. We hope to have persuaded our audience that it's a great movie worth seeing again and worth thinking about. It's all of insight and wit at the same time. This is Middlebrow Entertainment at yes, its best. Yes, for sure. I, 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 I strongly encourage everybody to give it a, a look again. It was a success when it came out, so probably many people have seen it, but it is sure worthwhile viewing again. So thank you for joining me. This has pleasure. been a lovely conversation. And I suggest we go get a drink. That sounds good. My pleasure. Let's do that.